Hey guys, before today's episode of the podcast, I want you to text me 212-931-5731. If you don't, you're missing out. I'm putting all my eggs in the fucking text basket. 212-931-5731. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. What's up, podcast, and welcome back. Today, we revisit a Q&A session that Gary did almost three years ago. He talks about finding your path early on and later in life. I hope this brings you incredible value. Enjoy. I think the thing that everybody m- makes mistakes with, I think one of the best things I've ever done, and I'm, I really haven't, I articulated about my love of the journey, but I don't talk enough about the way I strategize. I kind of like playing the role of like charismatic crazy guy, but I, I definitely think about stuff quite a bit. And I think the best way to win is to know where the hell you're going. And so, and, and the reason I've been pushing self-awareness is not everybody here is destined to build a $500 million thing. I also think it's crazy that people don't realize how amazing it is to build a $1 million thing. If you can build a $1 million a year revenue business and run on 30% net profit, you have a crazy life. And so we have this whole world of everybody trying to achieve for something that's virtually impossible and they're putting themselves in a position where by trying to build something impossible, they're gonna end up working for a bank. <laughs> because the one thing that people haven't factored in yet is globally the economy has been pretty good for the last decade, or at least eight years. And I, my biggest concern is the next economic slowdown. Right, and obviously Ireland's had different d- d- things going on in the UK and Brexit for the UK and the US and everybody has their own microeconomic things but I think the reality is globally, right now, things are good. You know, things, people are tense about politics, but economic realities and all the people that made money in the 2000s or have family money are pouring money into startup land. A rugby startup can actually get money from some individual, you know, that made money prior. I mean, the amount of twenty-five and $50,000 stupid checks I've written in the last five years, you know, and so when that goes away, what happens? And so I think, I think that um, that's a long-winded answer for a couple things. One, you need to know what your ambition is, right? Two, you have to figure out if what you're doing now is just the place where you're transitioning into the next chapter of your career or is this the thing that you want to try to build? And so if you actually decided from a strategical standpoint that the next two, three years is really just about learning Less posturing, faking it to make it, more just learning, tasting it, understanding the grass is not always greener. Yeah, startup land is better than finance land because people aren't as douchey or this and that, but there's a lot of things that aren't as good, like pressure, like it's all on you, like da 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 Well then if you've made the macro decision that this is a stepping stone and this is how you're gonna go about the world, all of a sudden you're not spending most of your time trying to figure out how to make the most money out of this. You're taking it in a totally different mindset. You've almost got a university-like mentality to the execution. You don't want to go out of business. You don't want to have to go back to get a job. But I would, I would, this is advice I'm giving, you know, I'm giving advice to everybody right now. You really have to know what you're doing. Like at the macro. And the other thing is you have to be flexible enough to know what changes. What your ambition is at, at 19 and 15 and 22 is different than what your ambition is at 41 and you have to be flexible in that reality. So I, I think it's a, it, it's a strategic answer. You know, and I think that, um, I think you need to think about, I think you need to think about tasting everything because you're a young man and you want to figure out what the hell you like and what you're good at. There's just an incredible 
you know, like kind of access point of like what you're great at and what you love. When you stumble into being somebody like me, you really win. When what you're naturally great at is what you naturally love the most and away you go. The amount of people that I meet every day that are great at something but have no interest in being a CFO. They love, they're insane with numbers but they don't want to do it. They want to sing, right? Or, you know, like, and so that's tough. You see it in athletics. Like, people don't understand athletes. The amount of athletes that just do it because it was the best way, in the same way that somebody goes and becomes an accountant, and they don't love competition, and they don't love the sport. It's crazy, you know, when you look at them because you're like, you're one of the 15 best, you know, and they don't love it, which is why they're not the greatest athlete of all time. The greatest athletes of all time are the ones who love it and have it. And so I think what you need to do is taste everything. It's kind of like food. You don't know what your favorite food is if you only eat one food. So I would take advantage of your youth and, uh, and your flexibility at this kind of age and try to taste everything, play with everything, figure out what you might be good at, what you might like, and then you make a decision. Uh, you know, when I think about being 41 years old and feeling as young as I, I feel like I'm 10 years old. Like I feel like I have my whole life in front of me. And I think it's very difficult for youngsters to realize that. I w- I'm sure some of us that have lived a little bit longer, you know, you just don't, like when I was 20, how old are you? 26. When I was 26, 41 seemed like a fucking long way away. You know, like, like my, my, eight, my eight, year old cousin, eight years older cousin who worked with me at Wine Library seemed old to me. At, you know, he was 34 when I was 26, so 41, fuck. Like, like it's funny for me to think about like how you're seeing me but I'm telling you, you're gonna feel exactly the way you feel right now at 41. And so that's interesting because when people understand that, you can start deploying more patience. Because right now you wanna prove it. You've got, right? Yeah, quickly. You know, I can read that because you're in the fake, like first words out of your mouth always are such an indicator of what's on your mind. You know, I don't, I never cared to fake it till I made it because I didn't care what people thought. When you can eliminate that, shit changes real quick. You know, even think about high school and then going into college, like high school's so tough for people because it's the apex of when everything's about what other people think. And then you love the transition to university or the last year of high school because you care a little less, right? But pff, those first couple years of high school, I don't know the school system exactly how you guys do it here, but like, ev- like everybody's wrapped up in that 12 to 17 year old age of like everything's about what everybody else thinks and that's why so many people hate that era. I just never went through that luckily, just hardwiring, good parenting, serendipity, circumstance, wrapping my self-esteem in things that I was great at. Not really, I'm not really good at thinking about what I'm bad at. Even in interviews, the only time I get stumped is they're like, what do you struggle with? Or, or what, what's a failure? I'm like, uh, I just don't even like quantify it. I don't think it's worth it. I think people dwell too much. So what is the best collaboration that either you've had in some of your businesses or that you've seen happen in startups? I give away all my best advice. I'm sh- at Daily V, I'm showing inside meetings to what the strategy of my company is and my competitors can just watch it and copy it. I mean, it's crazy what I'm actually doing because it speaks to my confidence that I'm always gonna keep inventing the next thing and my understanding that 99% of people aren't gonna do anything about it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I just bought Pure Wow, which is a women's media publishing company. It's like a Refinery29 competitor. I saw the Refinery29 CEO at CS and I rolled up on him and we've been friends for a long time, acquaintances, friendly. And he had, he, he had a good vibe, but like I addressed it immediately. I'm like, listen, you know I want to rip your head off. Like that, I'm competitive, it's a game. Like that's what I do. I'm like, but, but then I said to him, you know, but, but honestly, I think we should join up and we should go after Condé Nest and, and Hearst and there's much bigger media women companies than us. Together we can really do some damage and I don't care if I get 50 cents or 30 cents on the dollar. I, I think the best collaborations are the most unlikely. When Burger King asked McDonald's on that, like that campaign they did, I don't know if you guys saw this, where they asked to make a, a love child of the Big Mac and the Whopper. To me, there's, if tomorrow Nike and Adidas in the height of Yeezys going after the Nike brand did a collaboration, to me, you even said it, the most unlikely ones. It's easy when a crayon company does a JV with like a sock company and they make a co-pack. Like, they're not really competing. I think the most interesting ones are when you have real genuine competition and people collaborate. Uh, and so I think the ones that are most interesting is when Facebook and Snapchat will have secret meetings and say, you know what, we have to team up on vertical video because that's bigger than what we're competing against each other because we have to take down television ads. That's interesting. You know, I love that stuff. You know, I know that's pretty frothy, but I think that's when it gets most interesting. So, so FedEx and UPS should get together and say, listen, Amazon and Uber are dangerous. What can we do together? So disrupt the disruptors. Disrupt the disruptors. And it's most interesting to me when the incumbents that are on the verge of being disrupted are smart enough to disrupt. Mm-hmm. So like for example, every hotel company in, a, in the world should have gotten together, threw money together, and then bought residential and then created an Airbnb competitor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That to me is really neat. Now I know that's pretty heady. On a more small business level, I think it gets really interesting when the next generation comes in and they yell at their father that not everything is competition and you can do business with the guy down the street. My best collaborations was when I had no money. When Wine Library had no money, none. We were doing $3.8 million, $3.8 million a year, 10% gross profit before expense. We had no money, there was no marketing budget. My first year's marketing budget was $14,000. What did I do? I went to a lot of the other local businesses in Milburn and asked them if I could put a bottle of wine on their counter at the barber shop with little coupons. So what do you think holds people back? I mean, you're, you're Gary Vee. Okay? Yes. So, and you've always had that. Yes. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna fix the Yes. Problem. What do you think holds people back from those? Uh, hum, human inefficiencies. Yeah. Yeah. Fear, ego. Yeah. I don't need you, I can do it. Uh, uh, Cynicism, Mm -hmm. I don't trust you. You're not gonna leave, when I leave, you're gonna just take the flyers, throw them in the garbage and drink my wine. That's what holds my dad back. Cynicism, you know? Yeah, cynicism. My first question is, you talk a lot about young people not having enough patience. Yes. Uh, What do you think are the other major factors that young people don't really have today that hold people back? Experience. You know, I think, I think young kids are getting tricked right now and think just because it's a technology boom and just because they understand it that they have this great advantage over 45-year-old executors. It's audacity, which I love. Channeled properly, it gives them the lack of fear to do things. So I really don't talk a lot about it because I don't want to stop it because I think it's their greatest gift as well. But I think it's patience. 
I think it's lack of experience and the biggest one is lack of talent. Every young kid thinks they're entitled to be an entrepreneur now. It's the cool thing. Truth is, it's not gonna work out. Like, it just isn't, the math doesn't work out. Like, 98% of the people that are starting startups are gonna lose. And again, the reason I started with the economic, like, the economic growth of the globe is keeping a fake entrepreneur alive. Most of your friends that in their 20s that have businesses aren't actually making money if they're in tech. They've raised capital and they're losing money every month. That's ultimately something that doesn't work out. Second question, sorry. Uh, A lot of time I do web design development for small businesses. A lot of time I can go in, I can show a portfolio, I can say I want to expand that portfolio and they still might choose paying like 5,000 euro ridiculous amounts of money when I can say I can do the same work, here's the work that I've done. Is there any way of combating that? No. no. You're, being, you're being subjected to age discrimination. So the way to combat it is to not dwell on it and not try to sell people who aren't sellable. It's a volume game. Just go to every business instead of focusing on trying to convince the dog shop owner that he's making a mistake. Though one of the great things I've always done, because I started off as a young kid and nobody, I mean, I, I started off as, like they would walk into my family business and I'm like, can I help you with wine? And they're like, you can't help me with wine. For the first seven years they were right, I was 15 years old, they made, they were, but I knew a lot more and if they gave me data I could tell them what they should drink. But I think that um, one thing I learned very early on by all that rejection both being a bad student and both being a kid that tried to sell wine when he was underage and nobody would listen to him, is that, is that you can't sell people that aren't sellable. You're way better off putting your energy and crushing it for the people that give you an at-bat, right, versus the people that aren't. What does it take for you to invest in a company? And then two, um, preschools, it's a niche market. I have a master's in preschool education, I have a degree, but I still feel, I've talked to over a thousand preschool providers, done surveys with them, I'm talking to them every day, but I'm still not sure how to market the product to them, just because it's small and, yeah. So what would be your advice on marketing to me? As far as investing, you've kind of heard my themes. I've not been investing much at all. I'm about to do this new Apple show where I'm one of the you know, mentors and I think it's gonna put me in the light of investing a lot again, so I'm gonna, I have to figure out what my strategy is because I'm gonna have a great amount of deal flow. Um, but I do think we're in an oversaturated, overvalued market, so I've been doing almost no investing. Uh, if I was to invest now, it's only betting on the jockey and they've had to be successful before. Like, now listen, Mark Zuckerberg was not successful before. Evan Spiegel was not successful before. I'm gonna leave money on the table in an incredible way by having that strategy. I just need to go through this cycle. I don't like it right now. And so I'd rather invest in somebody who's done it before and is on their second or third because it gives me data that they've been able to navigate actually building a business versus building a machine that's built for fundraising because that's the majority of what's being built right now. And like it's free schools, they're not really business people, they're not enterprise. So like. I just feel like, should I go out to them and talk to them one-on-one or it should be digital? No, you should go talk to them one-on-one. The best thing to do ever is to go one-on-one and reverse engineer what made you get the first 10 people to buy it and then make that your strategy. I'm a very big fan of that. Like, instead of guessing what it's gonna be, go and sell it 
see what the common theme was that made people buy it, and then scale that in your communications. Digital is not a, it's not a tactic. Digital is where people's attention is. So what you put into the digital is what matters. Just having a Facebook strategy, right? It's what you say. Like, the creative is still the variable of success. It's what you say. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.